You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Church Online. Uh, I, I'm here. Uh, actually, it's Sunday morning after we've done church. If you tune in, my apologies. Uh, if you tune in when we should have been having the live broadcast, we had unprecedented technical difficulties that make me believe that Y2K is a thing in the year 2021. Uh, so I'm here uh, with my nice little table here, just talking directly to you if you're watching online. Uh, here with my, my little seltzer, uh, because this message is brought to you by Bubbly. Bubbly, when you're feeling bubbly. And, uh, you know, it, it's a weird morning because it's, it's not at all how uh, any of us anticipated things were going to be. And, man, if that's also part of the course for the last year and a half, I don't, I don't know what else is. Um, and the truth is, look, sometimes in life, things don't go the way that we thought that they would. And um, we, we just, we deal with it. We, 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 we move on, we press on. The same is true uh, in our relationship with God. I don't know if you ever had that moment where um, you thought you were going a certain place in your relationship with God. You thought... Man, okay, now is the time when everything, I'm, I'm finally going to get it together. Now is the time I'm finally going to take it seriously. Now is the time I'm going to finally show God how much that I love him, how much that I'm committed, how much that I'm going to be different, how much I'm going to have it together, and you just fail gloriously. If you haven't had that experience yet, just give it a, about 10 minutes and you will. Um, and today what we're going to do is we're going to answer a question like, about those moments. We're going to answer the question, okay, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, but here's the question we want to answer today. How much does God really forgive? Let me say that again. How much does God really forgive? Does God forgive like some of the passive-aggressive people that we know, like, you know, where they say, okay, I forgive you, but then like they'll still bring up the thing every now and then. Like, Remember that thing that I forgave you about, you know, 10 years ago when you did this? Or you did that? Is, is, is that the type of forgiveness that God offers where you, you look at that and you're like, man, if that's how it is when you forgive, I'd hate to see how it is when you haven't forgive. Or is it absolute? Is it God completely wipes away the thing and, and to the point that it's as though it never happened? Like how much does God really forgive? And to answer that question, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of a disciple of Jesus named Peter as we are continuing this series called Resurrection People. Now, if you don't know Peter's story, uh, Peter, uh, before Jesus met him, was a fisherman. Uh, he, he was a guy who, by trade, you know, would be out there on the ocean with the big, heavy nets pulling him in. And when he first meets Jesus, I don't remember the story or not. If you've never heard it, it's really, really neat. Um, what happens is, you know, Peter's out there fishing. He's out there all night, doesn't catch anything. And Jesus goes, yeah, take your boat back out. Why don't you put the, the, the net on the other side? And Peter's like, all right, well, you know, we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, okay. So he goes out and he catches so many fish in that moment that they can't haul the nets into the boat. The nets actually start to break. And Peter responds like a lot of us do when confronted with guilt. It's not, oh, wow, praise God, you know, thank you, Lord, you've revealed yourself in my life. He goes, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. How many of us, like, that's how we respond to God. It's not this kind of recognition of glory. Instead, we're aware of who we are in the presence of God. Like, you know, the prophet Isaiah talks about this when he's confronted by God's glory. It's, it, he just goes, like, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And what a lot of us do when, we, when we're confronted with guilt especially is we run. 
or we, we try and put it out of mind, or sometimes we even double down. Like, we don't want to own things that we've done wrong. And so you find this kind of knee-jerk reaction in Peter when he first meets Jesus. He's like, oh, man, like, get get away from me, you know. I mean, for you, that's why you haven't set foot in a church in a really long time, because you're, you're, you're every time you do, you're reminded of the stuff that you said you do or you're told you should do that you know you haven't, and so you just stay away from it. But the good news is if that's where you're at, God has something really, really great in mind for you, and I'll say for me too. So uh, what we see going forward in Peter's life is he follows Jesus everywhere, and Peter's one of those guys that, like, he, he's just, he, he, I don't even know something like this where they speak before they think. That's Peter, and I'll give you an example of this. So at the Last Supper, um, right before Jesus is, is arrested, uh, and sentenced to death. You have this moment where Jesus tells him, like, Listen, I'm going to leave. That's what Peter says in John 13, starting in verse 36. He says, uh, Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three Time. So you have this like this dogmatic moment where Peter's like, Lord, I'll follow you everywhere. Like, I'll let, I will die for you. And Jesus just looks at him and goes, Peter, the truth is, before the sun rises, you know, like the rooster crows at sunrise, like before the sun rises today, you'll deny that you even know me three times. Maybe for the story, you're gonna follow along. We're gonna start in John uh, 18, uh, starting in verse 15. So here's what happens. So Jesus, you know, he's um, he they leave the, the Last Supper and uh they go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and while they're praying there, you know, I mean, Peter just spectacularly fails. He's like, he grabs a few guys, hey, you guys just come pray with me. I'm really, really nervous about what's about to happen. Peter's like, absolutely, and then falls asleep, you know. And then um, high priest shows up with, with a, or the, the group from the Sanhedrin, like guards come to arrest Jesus, and, and Peter is like, you'll never take him alive. And he grabs a sword and cuts a guy's ear off, and, and Jesus is like, Really? and goes and heals the guy, and then he's like, this is what I want, and he's taken away. And you have this moment now where Peter's world is falling apart. This guy who said, I'll follow Jesus to the death. And in John 18, starting in verse 15, it says this, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. So they're following Jesus as he's being taken away, and he goes to the place where Jesus is, his trial is gonna take place. Verse 16, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. So listen, you know, can he come in? Come in? Yeah. And now you get this, like this, the servant girl, this little girl who's at the door, okay? And it says, like, she looks at them, and this is what she says, this little girl says to Peter, verse 17, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? And I love this moment, okay, that like here's Peter, and he's been gearing himself up to face stiff opposition. That basically where he's been is he's like, um, you know, like, I'll follow you. And he's prepared to face armies. But now when he's confronted by this little girl, he's taken off guard. And I think this is just so uh, prudent because for how many of us, listen, like when we talk about following God, we brace for like martyrdom moments. Like we brace for, okay, I, Lord, I'll be faithful in the storm. Like if the world falls apart, I'll be there. But usually, if I can just preach this, usually the way the enemy begins to take us down is not through grandiose milestones, but by tiny little nicks and cuts. 
So for you, maybe, okay, like, like your denial of Jesus didn't start, okay, like maybe for you, like where you're, is, like you're walking out of a bondage to addiction, like, like alcoholism, for instance, right? And so you, you sort of like, I will follow Jesus, I'll be sober until the end. And so what do you do? And you stay away from bars. And, and, and there, are, there are places where you don't go, like, you know, your friends are going to have, uh, like, a, a party, and you stay away from that because dogmatically I'm going to stay away from, like, this is my, my moment. But where do you get hit? You get hit. A little bit of pain. Because alcohol was where you numbed yourself to deal with it. And you weren't equipped to deal with it in the smaller. And so, and so you begin to stumble or like there's just that smell, that place just takes you off guard. And you start to start thinking a little bit about going back. You see, it wasn't the bar that did that. It was the little thing. And the same, and you gotta watch, it's true, every single Christian has a blind spot. Every single one of us has an area where, where the enemy just loves to, to gnaw at and attack. And it doesn't start on, on the, the mountaintop, it starts in the valley low. And this is what we see here, okay, like, when Peter's about to fall, it doesn't come from the army. It doesn't come from the, the people that he said, like, he'd lay his life down fighting against. No, it comes from the question of a little, unthreatening girl. And so she said, you know, verse 17 again, you're not one of this man's disciples too, are you? He replied, I'm not. Strike one. Now, John is about to do something that I want us to catch in the details that he records going forward in this story. So, you know, the story goes on. Um, in verse 18, it says, it was cold. And the servants and officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. And so you've got this scene that John wants us to see here. Okay, like, so Peter's made the first denial, but you know, it's late at night. Um, they're in ancient Judea. Like, it's cold out there, all right, at nighttime. And so people are freezing. And so he records that people are standing around a fire where the next things are about to transpire. But the word that he uses when he talks about a fire is a very, very interesting word. It's the Greek word anthrakia. And it's a specific kind of fire. You're like, why do you care? It's a really important detail. Okay, so this word, like specifically, it's a charcoal fire. And this word that we translate as fire here only occurs twice in the New Testament. Like in the entire Bible, anthrachia shows up twice. And they're both in John. This is the first one. Okay, so when John, when John talks about the detail of the fire, he wants like a very, very like specific sense to come for him. I don't know if you've ever been around charcoal. Come on, if you've got any, any other grill masters like myself here, I'm good at using a smoker. I'm good at barbecuing. You know, it's just like, mm, that smell of charcoal. And listen, charcoal retains heat. It's just something about that charcoal fire. It, just, it engages your senses. And you find that here, okay, that like Peter, he's around this charcoal fire. And what does he do? Well, the story goes on and somebody else comes up to him. And like, are you... Are you with that Jesus? And Peter now, he's thrown for a tizzy. He's, he's falling down. He might as well stand. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I don't know who you're talking about. No, I'm not. No. And then again, it says somebody comes to him and, and they go, hey, aren't you with that Jesus? And, and again, strike three. What? No, man, I don't know the man, right? And it says in John 18, 27, again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. to Jesus' words, and so what does he do? He leaves and he weeps bitterly because he knows now, like, man, here was Jesus in his hour of need, and I turned my back on him. Here was Jesus who, I mean, like, if, if a positive witness could have spoken on his behalf, and yet there are none, there's Peter, and he turns his back on Jesus when he needs him 
the most. And he just goes away and begins to sob. And we know the story. Peter, after leaving with this, how could I? I don't know if you've ever been there. God, how could I do that? Like, God, how could I drop the ball like that? So Jesus dies, right? He's, he's tortured. He's executed. He bleeds to death. And then, three days later, he rises from the dead. And he begins to appear to different people. Among them are his disciples, Peter included. And it's odd because what you find is that, you know, here's, here's, here's Peter, um, but there's no mention of the, the three denials. And, and we could go like, well, is it, you know, God just kind of passively, like, like, like sweeping it under the rug, like don't even worry about it? Probably not. Um, because what we're going to find next in, in Peter's story is that what he does is he actually begins, he leaves the calling that Jesus has placed on him. So look, in John 21, verse 3, it says, uh, like after Peter, you know, he's, he, uh, he's seen Jesus rise from the dead. What, what does Peter do with the, the revelation of the resurrected Christ? Well, what it says is he goes to his, the other disciples. He goes, I'm going out to fish. And the reason this is interesting is because given the nature of fishing, this isn't a recreational thing. I mean, like, if he's going to go fishing, we'll see, like, he's taking nets out. Well, what's the point of that? It's not for supper for a night. Like, like to have a net to get a big haul out there, like, that's bigger. That's commercial. And that's what we see happening right now. What Peter is doing is he's leaving, being a Jesus follower, and going back to his old way of life. And we can kind of understand why, right? I mean, here's, if you're in Peter's headspace, why would he do that? Well, he would do that because, number one, um, he feels as though he's lost the right to be a disciple. I mean, hasn't he? Like, he, he's denied Jesus. Like, shouldn't Peter not have a say? Like, shouldn't his voice not be heard? Because he has absolutely humiliated himself. He's humiliated the, the, the cause of Christ. He's dropped the ball in such a, like, personal, backstabbing way. And so, you know, here he is, and, okay, yeah, Jesus rose from that, and he did the nice thing. He did what God should do. He showed that, like, he's still God. He showed that he saves, and isn't that the nice thing? That, okay, Jesus died for him. He rose, and, okay, end of story, Peter thinks. And how many of you, listen, that's where a lot of us get tripped. When it comes to the idea of God speaking through or using us, God putting a calling on you and me, because we're so acutely aware of why God shouldn't do that, we're good with him stopping at salvation, we're good with it. Like, if the story was just, okay, God saved me and he forgave me, we're good with it staying there because we know us and we know why God shouldn't speak through or use us. Why God has, like, like for you right now, you're watching and you're so aware of like the unique calling that's on you, but you believe it couldn't be. Why? Because you're so aware of you. That's where Peter is. So what does he do? Well, he goes fishing. So it says, again, I'm going fishing. And listen, Here's his friends with them, and so they say, well, we'll go with you. So, continuing verse 3, so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And now we're beginning to have a repeat. Way back when Jesus first came into Peter's life, what was the situation? They put out the nets, they caught Nothing. And here they are after Peter has forsaken Jesus. Jesus has died. He's risen, but Peter goes, he, he doesn't want me. And so it says in verse four, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, 
But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And it says, he called out to them. Friends, haven't you got any fish? And you can imagine how annoying that question is if you're fishing all night. No, they replied. And so he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. <laughs> he did it again. Verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Thank you, John. We weren't sure. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped, him, or he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. I love this little detail. Because again, remember, Peter, Peter speaks before he thinks, and we see him doing it again. Uh, verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. <laughs> so you got Peter like, it's the Lord. Oh, shoot. He jumps out of, the, out of the boat to swim to shore where Jesus is. And the other guy's like, Peter, we, we have a boat. Like, we can, just, we can just row there. And so they get there, and there's, you know, Peter soaked on the beach. And verse 8 says, the net, full of, or the net was full of fish, but they were not far from the shore. It was about 100 yards, so they towed the net up. And when they landed, and I just want you to catch this detail here. They saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And this is a neat detail for a couple of reasons. Number one, number one, where did the fish come from? Because they're, they're towing fish up there, and yet here's Jesus with the meal already prepared for them. I think that's awesome. Like, because I think it's important for us to remember something, that when it comes to our relationship with God, we add nothing to God. Like, he, he speaks to us, he uses us, he calls us, but it's not because he needs us, it's because he wants us. He wants to include us in what he does. Like a loving father, you know, who, who has like a building project, and he, and he brings a son or a daughter over to help him with it. Does he need their help with it? No, but he chooses to include them out of his love. But here's the other interesting thing, okay? okay remember I told you earlier that that Greek word, anthrakia, about charcoal fire occurs twice in the entire New Testament? Here's the second time. When they get there, there's a charcoal fire that Jesus has started. And Peter knows that smell. It's the smell of his greatest failure. And I think this is important because for Peter, the easier thing would be if they just never bring it up again. And that's what a lot of us want. Like, we, we don't want to deal with the past. We don't want to deal with the scars. We would just prefer that we never talk about it again. But the truth is, this is a massive elephant in the room that if Peter just continues to suppress, he'll never be free of it. He'll never be healed of it. And Jesus loves him enough to take him into that place. And so, listen, you know, the, what we, we are, as, as people, when it comes to memory, we are very much sensory beings. Like, like for how many of us... Um, you think about the spots, like there's things that you can see or experience in life that remind you of that place. And so what you tend to want to do is, is get away from it. Maybe you hear a song on the radio and it reminds you of what you were doing when you were listening to that song before. So what do you do? Like you quickly change the radio so you don't have to think about it again. And you just want to get it out of mind. There's a, there's a sign on the highway that you see. And every time you see that sign, you're reminded of that place that you went into that, that you need to, like, that you shouldn't have gone to. And so you just, oh gosh, you want to look away. Or there's that house that you drive past. And you remember what you did in that house. And you want to never think about it. So you just 
avoid that neighborhood entirely because we think if I just get away from it, then I'll be free of it. But here's the neat thing about Jesus. Jesus loves you enough to, to walk with you into the place that reminds you of the failure. Jesus loves you enough to walk you into the place that, that your deepest conviction and absolute guilt and shame are most present. And we see that right here. Jesus himself lights the coals. And the reason he does it is not to condemn Peter. It's not to throw his sin in his face. It's to make it so that Peter is finally free from the past. So here they are. They're standing around the fire and they eat their breakfast. Fish. Says special K, that's fine. Verse 15 of John 21, it says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, hey, Simon, son of John, you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. In other words, I've got something for you to do. No, I'm not done with you. You feed my sheep. You, you take care of those who are mine. That, that, I mean, to say feed my lambs, that is an indication. Hey, Peter, I've got leadership for you. I've got something where you're going to bless other people. And you can just imagine, Peter, really, me? Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It's the first time I was feeding. I said, hey, Peter, take care of my sheep. I'm going to entrust this to you, son. Verse 17, the third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now it's plain what Jesus is doing. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? How many times is Jesus asking him if he loves him and giving him calling? Three. And Peter picks up on this immediately. And so it says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Here's Peter who's disqualified. And Jesus says, I'm not done with you yet. Can I just, can I preach this to this, the disqualified today? Can I preach this to the one who you are so aware of how you failed God? You just need to hear this today. In fact, I believe I have a special word from the Lord for you. I'm not a prophet, but every now and then I just get this. All right, this is what needs to be said. And I just, I just sense the Holy Spirit saying this to somebody today. I still love you, and I still want you. How could God ever want me? I mean, don't you, don't you know, Lord, don't you know what I did? Yeah, I do. I do. But you see, my presence, my power, my calling on you, and by the way, it's not just a preacher thing. Believers are called, okay? My calling on you was never contingent on how good you are. It's how good I am. 
that's that's the great thing about God is that it's not about you and me. Like God only calls broken people. He only calls imperfect people. There's only ever been one guy who wasn't broken and imperfect and he became broken and sin for us on the cross to put us in right standing with him. This was never about you getting it right. It's about him. It's about him. So hear these words. I just believe the Holy Spirit is speaking this to somebody today. I still love you. And I still want you. You know, I got to believe that John, who was there, who saw this stuff, if he didn't hear the conversation in that moment, I think he probably did, because I think they were all sitting around the fire together. But if, if this was a moment where, you know, Jesus took Peter aside, it obviously made an impact on Peter, and then he would have told John about it later on. And I think John learned something about Jesus that day. Namely, I think he learned the nature of how God relates to us. Because he writes this years after the fact. In 1 John 3.20, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. In 1 John 3.20, he says, If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Let me preach that again. If our hearts condemn us, this is 1 John 3.20, write it down, okay? If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. If our hearts condemn us, if we we look at ourselves and we're so acutely aware and convicted of how how bad we've been, how messed up we we are, how much we failed, and our hearts condemn us, you shouldn't be receiving God's love. You shouldn't be receiving God's mercy. You shouldn't be receiving God's favor. You shouldn't be receiving God's power. You shouldn't be receiving God's promise. And all of those things are true if it's about you earning something from God. If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, meaning God's grace is greater than how we feel about ourselves. God's grace is greater than how we think he should respond to us. If our hearts, if we look at our hearts and, oh, man, are the worst. Oh, man, I dropped the ball. Yeah, you dropped the ball, but God is greater than how you feel. He's greater than your ability to forgive you. Why? Because his grace is greater than your ability to sin. If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and it says, and he knows everything. Let me just preach this to you this morning. Listen to me. For the one who's perpetually, get, I did that thing, and uh, I said I wouldn't do it, I did it, and, uh, like, okay, and you just think like God's just waiting to throw it in your face. Can I preach this to you? He knows everything. He knows you didn't mean it. Like, like for the one who just, you, know, you exploded in anger, and you had the fight, and you said the thing you, you knew you shouldn't have said, oh, man, isn't God just, doesn't he just think I'm this or I'm that? He knows you didn't mean it. He knows you wanted to do better. He knows all things, okay? He knows that, listen, if you could go back, you would undo it. He knows you want to be free of it. He knows that you still love him. Why? Because he knows all things. And that's the thing. We see that played out in Peter's life right here. Hey, let me just say this to you, okay? You may have denied God. You are Peter in that moment. Peter turned his back on Christ in his hour of need, and there's not a single one of us who hasn't done the same. And the Spirit looks at you. The Spirit of Christ, who died for your sin and mine, and rose from the dead. And he says, feed my sheep. I have a calling for you. I have a destiny for you. I have something for you to do, to be included in what I'm doing on the earth because, hey, 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 I still love you. I still want you. 
Gosh, I, I can't think of a better place to pray than that. Let's rejoice in him together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you because you still love. Because you still take our failures and turn them into stories of your grace and kindness. Lord, you are greater at redeeming than we are at sinning. And yes, we believe in repentance. And yes, we believe in holiness. And yes, we believe in living for the Lord and as unto the Lord. But we know that none of that makes us right with you. It's all you and your kindness. And we thank you because you're kind. My brother or my sister this morning who wants the answer to the question, how much does God forgive? Holy Spirit, I pray you soak into their hearts the answer, which is absolutely he forgives. As much as one can forgive, he forgives because he's God and he's infinite. Lord, we thank you because you forgive so much that it's as though the sin never committed to begin with. Just that we never did it. Lord, we thank you because of your unending grace. We invite it more into our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, church family, guys, thanks so much for tuning in today. Um, bless you. We'll see you next week as we wrap up Resurrection People.